Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 8. Reun's Peach Blossoms. Reun Shigon of Fuzu was enlightened upon seeing the blossoms of a peach tree. In a verse he said, For thirty years I saw the sword master. How many times have leaves fallen and new buds appeared? But since having seen the peach blossoms, I have never doubted again. Later, he related this verse to his master, Isan Reyu. Isan said, Those with the karmic roots of enlightenment never regress. Take good care of yourself. When Gensha Shibi heard about this, he said, Reun may have been right on, but I'll guarantee that his understanding was incomplete. Ummon Bunen said, You talk of complete and incomplete? Thirty more years of training. Later, during a lecture, a monk asked Dyson Fusai about the verse. Dyson said, A thief has no peace of mind. We have reached noon in our long Rohatsu day. The noodles are a very good indicator of that. If you ever get lost in a session and there are noodles with dashi, you know it's noon. It's interesting. I remember uh, at Mount Bali Zen Center on middle day, noodles were served as well. But it wasn't anything like this. It was spaghetti <laughs> and tomato sauce and some kind of cheese that was grated from um, a large industrial hunk of cheese that you could buy somewhere cheap, probably. But it was still the same experience. Maybe this is what we call Americans, and which is wonderful because it uses Italian recipes for noodles and tomato sauce. And if you follow Marco Polo all the way back, you find your ways back to China, where the noodles came from. So everything is really wonderfully connected here. And today we have a splendid noon Noontime with the sky open, brisk air, and the sunlight 
fully shining. Some people take a nap afternoon after they eat. So if you need to do that, this would be a good time. <laughs> and let me know if I disturb you in your <laughs> sleep. So today's koan already, you might have heard in the dedication, there are a lot of names in there because this koan has so many different people uh, in them. And it would be a lot to talk about all of them. But some of them we will look at. It's a, it's a really wonderful selection of replies and responses to this very famous verse that Reun Shigon came up with. So let's start by looking at the main person who created that verse. His name is Reun Shigon. And that's again after the mountain at which he taught. Reun Re means spirit. Sometimes in English it is translated also as soul, a word that doesn't, uh, that comes with a lot of connotations. But spirit, soulful spirit, and un is the cloud. Now you might have heard that name before, Reun, Reun. It sounds so familiar, doesn't it? There is a subtemple of Myo Shinji that's called Reun In. In is like a subtemple, a small, like a, a, yeah, hermitage, bigger than a hermitage. Reun In, the spirit cloud temple in Myo Shinji, in Myo Shinji, and the abbot there. You most of you have met the abbot. It is Noritake Shunan Roshi. It's an interesting connection, Reunin. And Reun is also the mountain where Reun Shigon lived in the ninth century. We'll have another opportunity to meet Noritake Roshi next year when he comes to help us with the Ho'on Seshin, the Seshin where we celebrate, the, where we commemorate and as it says also in the Kozen Daito, we read it in English yesterday, where we requite. What do we requite? Beneficence. beneficence. What beneficence? Have we gotten anything for free yet? What kind of beneficence are we talking about? All the free wonderful teachings of the Buddha and all the ancestors, male, female, non-human, that have showered upon us the teachings of the Buddha, light, air, all of it. But this specific Ho'on Seshin is a Seshin to commemorate, 
Hero Roshi's departure from this world. And it is such a, an important thing to do that and to do it with the knowledge that this is not what we call hagiography. You know hagiography? It's, it's uh, describing the life of a saint. Oh, no. No saints in this lineage, all the way back to the Buddha. All human beings, all of them. You are all human too, aren't you? At least one. <laughs> we all are human. And it is really so important to acknowledge that and let our shortcomings not stand in the way of what we are doing here. We would probably not score that well on, on a scorecard of a perfect human being. We are here because we have the need to purify, to learn, to open up, to become more whole than we are. So this Hoon Sesin, for which Noritake Roshi will travel from Kyoto to come here. And of course, also uh, from Shogenji, uh, Yamakawa Roshi will be coming to conduct one of the services, uh, the Hansai service, and the evening before Noritake Roshi will be the Doshi, as far as I know, for the evening service. So taking the time to acknowledge our ancestors in a chant like a dedication is not just something that has to do with history, but it is an important way for us to feel that intransmissible way that has been transmitted and is right here now, alive. And that is the main point, alive. And we wouldn't be here, we would not be alive, we would not have had this chance without all those human beings, as flawed as they might have been, and some of the things that we benefit from might be completely have depended on flaws of others. So, being thankful and uh, requiting the beneficence is very important. This whole week, this whole day, is requiting the beneficence of Siddhartha Gautama. He could have just sat under the tree after it was done and said, ah, cool. <laughs> ah, I know now. Who cares for the rest of them? They're just like ants. Look, look at them suffer. But that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. 
And it is important when you look at the story of Siddhartha becoming the awakened one. It did not end there. It just started. It just began. It took Siddhartha eight days under the tree. And then I don't know how long did it take the Buddha to expound all the teachings or to even come to the point where he decided to expound them. I often remember the books uh, by Katagiri Roshi. And the first one that was published was called Returning to Silence. And we have a culture here in the Western Hemisphere that we follow things that are printed. We read a lot about that that cannot be expressed in words. And whenever a new book comes out, (laughs) we'll buy it. We read it and then we'll follow exactly. That's it. That's it. So in there it says returning to silence. So a second book had to be published. (laughs) The title was, You Have to Say Something. (laughs) You have to say something. And people bought it. And so it goes with books over and over again. I, I, uh, I remember my first Zen books I bought in the only place you could buy it in the city I grew up in, and it was a Catholic bookstore. And the shelf with self-improvement and other religions... <laughs> <laughs> was at the end of the store. You really had to know where it is to find it. But uh, anyway, I did. So there are a lot of new books all the time, all the time. Be careful. Read them. It's important to read them. If you don't read them, you don't know what they say. And if you don't know what they say, it's very hard to say, well, I don't like that book. (laughs) Why? What is it? The shape? Is it the color of the picture in the front? No, it's okay to read as long as we know what it is, where it fits into what we are doing here. Reading is important. Everybody, I think, in the beginning had this idea, Zen is not about words and about written stuff. But if you look at how Zen monks study in Japan, there is a lot of reading. There's a lot of studying. We spoke of Noritake Shunan Rodaishi. Every time he comes here, he writes a Chinese poem of four times seven characters. Last, the year before, not this October, the the October before, Shingeroshi and uh, Shoko-san and I were in 
invited to go to Ryotakuji in Mishima. And uh, there is Goto Roshi, Goto Eizan Roshi, who is the abbot of Ryotakuji, the temple where Soen Roshi came from. And in a casual conversation, Goto Roshi mentioned that Noritake Roshi, he is considered the living treasure of Japanese Zen monk composing traditional Chinese poems. Before we left, Noritake Roshi gave me a book of his, all poems written on occasions, celebratory. There is one here in the hallway if you walk by that was framed, that he offered here. So it's a wonderful thing to write and to have written things. And that's one of the things that Zen monks study, how to compose these traditional Chinese poems. Our koan begins with Rayon Shigon, who wrote a poem upon an occasion. And the occasion for which he wrote it was when he awakened. It says in our koan here that he awakened upon seeing the blossoms of a peach tree. So here we have the moment of awakening. This is Rohatsu Seshin, the awakening of the Buddha. When I think back, Shuko-san told me some, at some point that Joshu Roshi used to talk sometimes about when he uh, started out as a chicken monk. That was 1921. He moved from Sendai, where his family lived. Sendai is a little bit north on the east coast of Japan than Tokyo. You probably all remember the big Tohoku earthquake that happened in 2011. That was in that region of Sendai. And he moved to Hokkaido to a temple near Sapporo. Zuiryuji was the temple name. Zuiryuji. It's always cold there, especially in the winter in Hokkaido. And Joshu Roshi said that when he worked in the kitchen there, maybe he was 15 years old, from the steam, the windows had fogged up and created these frost patterns. Unfortunately, there is no, I don't know of a good word in English for it, but in, in, in German it's called an ice flower because it looks like a flower. So he was doing something in the kitchen and then he looked up at this window where the sunlight was hitting it with this ice flowers and that was it. That was it for him to awaken. Reun Shigon saw peach blossoms. Other people 
who had these moments of awakening in specific events. Who do you remember? Remember somebody kicking a pebble that hit the stem of a big bamboo and made the noise? Even a person that appears in this koan today, uh, Genshashibi, he awakened when he stubbed his toe. He stubbed his toe as he was crossing the mountain pass out of his home province of Fujian when he was going on pilgrimage. Please don't make it a habit to try to you, you, it cannot be precipitated. It happens. So don't kick things. <laughs> don't try to fall off things and look somewhere for it. That's not how it goes. That's why it's important to understand the word that Reon Shigon is described as here, upon seeing not looking at. There's a very distinct difference between seeing and looking at. We look at things all our lives. All our lives. And I am pretty sure that all of you remember moments you saw. Rayon Shigon saw the blossoms of a peach tree. And he wrote his verse. He saw the peach blossoms. Others stubbed their toes. Siddhartha sat under a tree and saw the morning star. Awakening. Fine. Step number one. Very important. Awakening is a new beginning. Like this morning, we all woke up, didn't we? Is somebody sleepwalking? Then you're really good at it. It doesn't matter for our day how it goes, how we woke up. Do you remember how you woke up? Yeah, some do. It's something to really look at also in the morning. See it as an exercise of awakening. It is your mind and the world that come into existence simultaneously out of hopefully not horrible nightmares, out of sometimes very, very deep sleep, which is complete 
absence of self. And sometimes we wake up for the most mundane things. I really had to go. <laughs> but that's not any less mundane or more mundane than stubbing your toe or looking up at the fogged up windows. So make it something to see because it is a seeing in the morning. You don't sleep and look for waking up unless you have a terrible dream. I have to wake up at exactly this time. It's not a looking in most cases. Awakening, waking up in the morning. Forgetting everything that was there before. Even tiredness. I don't know if you have yet succeeded in forgetting about being tired. Being tired can be an idea that is stuck in our minds, especially in these situations where we are here and we feel sleep-deprived. Only X amount of hours. Who thinks that way? Forget about it. This brings us to the verse that starts, of course, talking about time. For 30 years, I sought a sword master. Ah, seeking, looking for, searching. Where is that sword master? And sword master, what do you think the sword master stands for in this context? Excellence. Excellence. I have seen terrible sword masters who hacked themselves <laughs> uh, trying to be a sword master. Yeah, maybe excellence. Some are really excellent. But what kind of sword are we talking? Is there anybody with a sword around here? Yeah, he's right there. Manjushri, Monju Bosatsu. What kind of sword is that? The sword of wisdom. And it cuts. What does it cut? It cuts ignorance. It cuts delusions. But also, we often talk about the sword that freely gives life and takes it away. That kind of sword master he was looking for, a master of the way, the sword of wisdom that cuts the root of delusion. How many times have leaves fallen and new buds appeared? How many times? Didn't he just say 30 years? But even if you don't count it, even seeking can be an activity in which we lose complete 
time. Time disappears. Seeking has a bad reputation. But many of us would not be here if we hadn't felt the urgency to look for something. And when we engage in a practice like this, really intensely, time completely disappears. One long day. He speaks about leaves falling and buds appearing. We spoke about death before, life and death. Leaves falling, decay, buds springing out of dormant trees, out of the frozen ground. Again, the activity of life and death manifests. Where does it manifest? Well, right here. Right here, right now. And all of that, these 30 years of looking for, of seeking, were ended by a moment of seeing. A moment of seeing ends 30 years of seeking. We could say that the sword has struck. Just like that. But since having seen the peach blossoms, I have never doubted again. I have never doubted again. What about the great doubt? You think that Reon Shigon has given up on the great doubt? What is that great doubt that we speak about in Zen off and on? One of those three legs of Zen practice, the great doubt. What is it? Would you say that his reason to seek might have been motivated by that great doubt? Certainly by a question, by an urge to investigate, to find out. Or if we think back, we heard about Eka. What was he lacking? What did he want to achieve? Peace of mind. He wanted to achieve peace of mind. No peace of mind 
the urge to investigate, being stalked by the question beast. Sometimes I, I see many times in, in the city uh, center, some young people come to Zazen, they stay a little bit, and then life happens, and then they disappear. But really, they have been exposed to the Zen beast. You know, the Zen beast, once it smells you, <laughs> it will follow you. You will not see it. And these, these people don't see it either. But then at some point in their life, <laughs> there it is, and grabs them again and pulls them back into the practice. And there it becomes more and more prevalent, the Zen bees stalking us with the question. And that's one of the really striking differences that we see in this practice. And that is the abundance of questions. An abundance of questions and the conspicuous Conspicuous absence of what? Answers. Well, still, we don't give so easily up on answers. Come on, tell me. <laughs> tell me, what's the answer? And we can, what can we always do? I'll buy a book. <laughs> There's certainly an answer in there. So that question beast that really follows us everywhere. Great doubt is, a, is dealing with questions like that. And we heard that from Hakuin's mouth directly that we need a great vow to drive our practice. A great vow and great doubt go together really nicely. And the vow can be to resolve that doubt. It's also important to distinguish the great doubt from the mundane doubt. No, I really don't think so. Or you doubt your own capacity. I can't do this. I am too weak. This is really one of the most interesting things you can observe the mind doing. Telling you that you're worth nothing. Which includes your mind and you take that for being the ultimate authority. I mean, how obvious is that? Isn't that so obvious that it should only take a few minutes to get over that? But it's really, really stubborn and ingrained often because we like to believe ourselves, especially when we make ourselves down. 
But since having seen the peach blossoms for Eon Shigon, he never doubted again. Now, Eon Shigon lived in the 9th century. He appears in two cases in the Shumon Katoshu. We know very little of his life. But what we know is that he studied under Isan Reyu. Isan Reyu lived from 771 until 853. Isan himself was a successor to Hyakujo Ekai, one of the 41 Dharma heirs of Hyakujo, a very prolific early ancestor. The most known and the best known thing about Reon Shigon is this very verse. Not much else. We also know now in the next portion, Isan himself appears. Later, Reyun related this verse to his master, Isan Reyu. We now we know about Isan that he stayed with Yakujo for quite some time and he served as the head cook in the monastery of Yakujo. We also might remember that we can encounter him in case 40 of the gateless gate, the Mumonkan. Where we find out how he was recognized by his teacher, by Yakujo Eikai. Does anyone remember? Yeah. He kicked over the jug. Remember? Yeah. After the head monk said, ah, you cannot call it a sandal. Yeah. He just kicked it over. That was Isan. Isan was a very compassionate teacher. He had a lot in common with the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. His vow was to save all beings. And he said about the verse of his Dharma heir, Leon Shigon, he said, those with the karmic roots of enlightenment never regress. Take good care of yourself. So what are those karmic roots of enlightenment? Haven't we just heard about a sword that cuts off roots? Wouldn't it also cut through the roots of karmic conditions? Hmm? Does it cut through the great doubt? What is karma? When you read about it, you can read that they are so-called dull and sharp roots 
of enlightenment described in the literature. Dal means it takes you a long, long time to come to awakening. And sharp roots means you awaken quickly. Does it have to do with how much good karma you have in the cosmic karma bank in your account? And if you have good karmic roots, you never regress. Is there regression? These are very interesting questions. Especially when it comes to Isan. When we humans think of systematic karma, karma as a reward system, Karma made it into mainstream in America. Have you ever checked your credit karma? Yeah, it gives you a number. It gives you a number and lists all the people that report your financial karma, karmic conditions. It's accounting. I would advise against looking at karma in that way. It might at some point be a wonderful thing to motivate people and society to behave in a more beneficial way, in a more collaborative way. But as practitioners, we cannot rely on it in a mechanical understanding. Karma is activity and conditions. Whatever the roots may be, if you know about them or not, if you describe them or not, they are there. The karmic roots manifest in every moment of our practice in the same way that the great doubt should manifest in our practice here. And what we have to do with the great doubt, with it, is go beyond a question that is a question of words. We could say that our posture embodies our great doubt. When we sit in Zazen, we certainly embody the karmic conditions and roots that we carry with us. And we can also use embodiment as a practice to move beyond conditioning. That's why there is a specific way to do things here. And it does not just include the embodiment 
of the practice in sitting, chanting, but also walking, sleeping, or as we heard yesterday, as Rinzai said, shitting. Putting ourselves wholeheartedly into that while having that open questioning vulnerability that develops through this practice. It might feel vulnerable to a fixated self that doesn't want to be poked by what's coming in. But we can get over that fear and that feeling and become, sometimes I think of it as the dot under the question mark. If we were a question mark, it wouldn't be such a great Zazen posture, you know. It's kind of awful, but as the dot, sit on the dot of the question mark, breathe the dot of the question mark. Have your heart with a wide open mouth all the time in awe of all these wonderful things that happen here. That is the embodiment, one of the ways to embody the great doubt. No matter what karmic roots there might be. And I would say with Isan here, this is really taking good care of yourself. Not only yourself, but others. Because then the dot will say to you, what others? Question everything wholeheartedly. Now, you have to pay attention to this now. My first Zen teacher told me, never believe, just, just never believe just what's being told to you by somebody else. Do you get that? <laughs> and of course, I ate it up. Isn't that wonderful? Never believe that what anybody tells you, says to you. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Great doubt, great awakening. Little doubt, little awakening. No doubt, no awakening. Or... Awake. But since having seen the peach blossoms, I have never doubted again. Here comes the next person, Genshashibi. When Genshashibi heard about this, he said, Reun may have been right on, but I'll guarantee that his understanding was incomplete. Gensha Shibi, 8.35 until 9.08, also spent 30 years before he joined 
the Sangha. He was an illiterate fisherman until he turned 30. He became a monk and studied with Seppo Gison. He became Seppo's successor. And as we said before already, that he stubbed his toe as he was walking across the mountain path. Wouldn't that be nice if you stub your toe and you just don't go, ah, shit. <laughs> but you're struck by lightning. It happened to him. He was very well known in his time as being somebody who kept the precepts very, very tightly. Rayun might have been right on, but I'll guarantee you that his understanding was incomplete. Is he criticizing Rayun? Well, let's not answer that. Before looking at Umon's answer, which will help us look at this incomplete understanding, there's one more thing I wanted to mention about uh, Isan. Because we said here, he said uh, to us that those with the karmic roots of enlightenment never regress. Who does not have Buddha nature? Who does not have karmic roots of this or that? Is there such a thing as regression except from the point of view of a systematic thinking of hierarchies of, well, uh, chicken is better than an insect and a cat is better than the chicken and the buffalo is better than the cat and then comes the human being. Isan, who said this, I wanted to point out, he said at some point, after 100 years, I shall be born in a farmhouse in the village as a buffalo with the word Isan so Reyu, monk Isan. Reyu was his first name, marked on its side. Will it then be called monk Isan or a buffalo? Well, so much for regression. No rank. Even if we like to draw lines of what we call or like to think of as sentient beings and insentient things, as what we think is okay to kill to eat and what is not okay to kill to eat. All of it, all together, no regression, no rank. 
since we all know about Umon Bonen. I will not say much about him, but he was about the same time. He said, you talk about complete and incomplete. 30 more years of training. Now, that again sounds like some kind of criticism. Like Genshashibi saying, well, Rayon's, I guarantee you his understanding was incomplete. What are we looking at? Is the reason that we don't have books of answers in this practice. That even if you think you have an answer and it works on one occasion, it's exhausted. It turns into something that, that is, if it's in the moment, it is life. But if it's God, if it's gone by, you know what it is? Dead. It is dead. And you can chew on dead stuff by reading books. Some of it is delicious. It is. Some is dried out fruit of wonderful ambrosial nectar that is dried up. Other pieces of things you can read about are regurgitated ideas of other people. It's rather unpleasant how that tastes. And don't read the corn about the kanshiketsu. It really tastes awful. Incomplete and complete. Answer, no answer. A state of arrival. No such thing. 30 more years of training. As we started out in the beginning saying, awakening is the first step. As it was the first, the beginning of the Buddha. It is the beginning of our practice, which will never end. Even if we return as a buffalo with our names attached somewhere on our bodies. It is never complete. Three times 30 years we have encountered today. 30 years of Eon Shigon looking for the sword master. 30 years that Gensha Shibi was a fisherman before he turned to the Dharma. And 30 years that Umon wants to give out for more practice. Wonderful. The last portion of the Quran says, later, during a lecture, a monk asked Daisen Fusai about the verse. Daisen said, a thief has no peace of mind. We heard last night about thieves, didn't we? 
We heard about thieves, wherever people come together. In a town, the thieves will come. Thieves can be found in the Zen context off and on. Sometimes they enter houses that are completely empty and still make off with loot. The next case that comes here, case number nine, also uh, is referred to sometimes as a thief. So what is being stolen? Who owns what? Is a good question that we can ask here. What is peace of mind for a thief? Traditionally, it could be interpreted in either fashion. A thief has no peace of mind is a possible put down, but it can also be in a laudatory way. Taking something away that somebody not had. We heard it yesterday. Giving somebody something that they have already. Who is the thief? What is the loot? And it connects back to the dot under the question mark. Let's use the remaining 12 hours of our long day in Rohatsu to ride home on that dot, on that point under the question mark. to embody the great doubt in our sitting, chanting, walking, sleeping, eating, breathing, relating to each other, becoming one. And eventually, let us This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.